on today's show. The regular season is only one week away. Yes, one week away. Touch on your questions on today's Mailbag episode, as well as the latest news and notes around the Atlanta Hawks. We'll have all of that and more on the way. You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1568 of the Lockdown Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Tuesday evening into Wednesday. And today's show is brought to you by Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account. Use promo code LockdownNBA for $20 off your first purchase with Game Time. Also, at the top of the podcast, I should encourage you to make it your first listen each and every day. Please subscribe to the podcast anywhere you get your podcasts, places like YouTube on the video side, as well as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Overcast, etc. On the auto side, and as noted in the cold open, the Hawks open the season, as you're listening to this podcast, probably on, on Wednesday, one week from now. I'm recording the show late into the evening on Tuesday, but again, as of Wednesday, we're one week away from actual games that count, and it was a good time to kind of go solo and do a little bit of a check-in. I do have a, a, a planned podcast um, later on this week with a guest, plus the normal coverage of Friday night's game between the Hawks and the Sixers, and then next week some final season preview kind of content before before the opener. But today, the latest news and notes, and then the mailbag will take over the second half of the podcast with your questions, and I really do appreciate everybody sending in questions. As always, you can find us either at LockedOnHawks at gmail.com, or you can find me on Twitter at BT Rowan or the show at LockedOnHawks. With that out of the way, some news and notes here. Not, nothing incredibly new or huge, but certainly some stuff that I've sort of neglected to talk about in the last week or so. The first thing is actually a pretty big deadline to monitor. And really, there's two, there's two of these, but the, the first one's much more important. So less than a week from now, the Hawks have to find common ground if they want to on extensions for Anike Kongwu and or Sadiq Bey. The deadline for rookie scale extensions, which they are both eligible for, is October 23rd. So that's Monday the day before the season begins for the NBA. The Hawks will play on the actual opening night. That's Tuesday. The Hawks play on the opening night for most teams on Wednesday. As a reminder, if they don't find a deal by that day, both guys will become restricted free agents at the end of the season. My stance, if you are new to the podcast, is kind of always, except for uh, guys who are like obvious stars, like for instance, Trey Young a couple years ago. Um, for me, this is my stance, not anybody else's. Um, basically, it needs to be a pretty team-friendly setup for me to want to do an extension with a guy who is not an established star. And both guys in this scenario have pretty complicated scenarios of their own. For instance, Akongwu is on a team where he's never been the starter. And obviously, I am a firm believer in Akongwu. If you're a new listener to the podcast, I believe Akongwu is going to be a long-term starting center who's going to be very, very good for a long time. But he's not done that so far. With the Hawks. Also, he's a former lottery pick, though, mid lottery pick, a pretty high one, actually. And he's already proven, at least to me, to be a good player. And I think already a starting caliber center at the very young age that he is. So his side in the in the negotiations, his agency, his reps, and himself, they should ask for a lot of money. And I'm sure, very sure that they are at this point in time. Um, we'll see. On the Sadiq Bay side, he might be best, in my opinion, as more of a rotation forward, like a third forward on, on a really good team rather than a starter because of, because of his defensive limitations. But at the same time, and Bay's a little bit older, obviously, than Kongwu, having been a multi-year college guy, but he's a proven shooter. He's been very durable in his NBA career. Every team's also looking for six, seven guys who can shoot it like he can. So, yeah, he has some flaws, but certainly going to be asking for and deserves to ask for a bunch of money in free agency as well. So, 
between now and Monday, this is a topic that's going to be increasing in steam. And as I've been talking about really all summer long and multiple occasions, I've done this segment in some way. Basically, most of these deals either get done right away, which is back in January, uh, sorry, in July, or they wait until almost the end of the process, which is basically Sunday or Monday. The last two years, the Hawks have signed an extension basically on the final day. It was DeAndre Hunter last year. It was Kevin Herter two years ago. And we'll see if they find a deal for either or both of a Congo and Bay by Monday. The other one, and by the way, if that happens between now and then, we'll break it down. And obviously, if it does not happen, I'll touch up on that, on that next week as well. But that's one to circle. Monday, October 23rd is a big day for both of those guys, for sure. Um, the other one is that the Hawks have to pick up team options on Jalen Johnson and AJ Griffin. Absolute no-brainer, but they have until the end of October to exercise the rookie scale options there. It's a third-year option for Griffin, fourth-year option for Jalen. And again, Barks being absolutely crazy. Those would be no-brainer exercises. So no really concerns there. Something to keep an eye on between now and the end of this month on Halloween. Okay, from there, uh, other news things. Uh, Kevin Pelton of ESPN released his projections. They're uh, probably you know one of the more high-profile you know stat-based proje- projections for the season. He combines his player projections plus uh, luck-adjusted RAPM, which is kind of publicly available. And then Pelton also weighs his projections by playing time with his general projections and also average health luck is the way he describes that. Last year, he had the Hawks a little bit too high, ultimately, at 46.2 wins. This year, he has the Hawks at 43.8 wins. That would be good for the sixth spot in Eastern Conference. If you average all the projections that I have seen publicly, from fan duels over-unders to all kinds of other projections, the Hawks are generally, on average, the seventh seed, and, and ones that I've seen so far. Um, Pelton does have them ahead of Miami, which I actually agree with. It's more of a surprise to some, but I think the Hawks are better than the Heat. That's maybe an outlier opinion, at least in the regular season. Certainly, I've said this before, and I'll say it again, Miami regular season versus Miami playoffs, different venture. But last year, Miami was outscored for the season over 82 games. You can argue they're, they're actually worse this year. So anyway, um, but there are a bunch of teams that are basically always ahead of the Hawks in these projections. That's Boston, Cleveland, Milwaukee, uh, Philadelphia, I would say, at least based on the Harden version of Philadelphia. And then the Knicks are kind of in that mix as well, plus Miami, and then you get to the Hawks and then whatever else. So Pelton has the Hawks sixth. That's very reasonable, I think, in my opinion, and uh, still over the projection win total at FanDuel right, right now in that projection. Also, the annual NBA.com GM survey came out from John Schumann a couple weeks ago, maybe even last week. Um Speaking, basically, it's very light on Hawks stuff. Um, in fact, speaking of that average projection I talked about, the GMs had the Hawks at seven, and no GM voted them higher than fourth. I did actually get a fourth-place vote. I'm actually interested to see how they got to that. But alas, um, Quinn got some love for at least one coach for the best in-game adjustments, also the running the best offense. Patty Mills got a vote for the active player who will be actually become the best head coach someday. That's kind of it. It was very, very, very quiet on the Hawks front. Kind of to be expected in some ways, a lot of those categories are like about what changed with teams. And the Hawks, as we talked about a lot, didn't really change a lot in the last couple of months, barring the John Collins exit. So we'll leave it there for now, but nothing really to talk about in that one. Uh, last thing is the sort of roundup on the top 100 lists front. Um, I did reference CBS's list earlier in the cycle, um, but a couple more that came out in the last couple of weeks. Bleacher Report had Trey Young at number 30 overall, which I believe is like pretty comically too low for him. Had DeJounte at 47. That's about reasonable for him, in my opinion. I think there's a couple guys ahead of him that I don't love. Um, but Trey was behind some guys that I, ju- I just can't abide by. Like Brandon Ingram, for instance. I think Trey is very clearly better than Brandon Ingram, for instance. Um, a couple other guys. Um, Bleach Report also had Kai Capella in their honorable mention list, which I think is way too low for Clint. And Bogey is not, is not listed at all. Also pretty bad, in my opinion. 
Uh, but then there's the one that gets the attention every single year, and that is ESPN's NBA ranking exercise. Overall, <clears throat> I had to say, I had to laugh a little bit at how high some of the young guys are, like the rookies and second-year players. Even like Wemby and Scoot, they're just too high for what they're going to be this year. And this is what this exercise is this year. But I'll always lose that battle. I'll always grant that. Um, guys are, you know, it's it's a name contest in some ways. But Trace 29, again, on this list, that's just too low. I'm not trying to be that guy, but it's just too low. For instance, he's directly behind Laurie Markkinen. And with all respect to Laurie Markkinen, who was very, very good last year in Utah, I, I cannot come to a situation where I believe Laurie should be ahead of Trey Young based on one season. And even then, I think Trey was still better than Laurie last season, but at least that's that's worth talking about. But um, given the track record of these two players, Trey has been better for every moment of his career, in my opinion, but at least every moment for sure before last year. And that's pretty aggressive. I keep going. That would have me kind of annoyed. Um, DeJounte Murray is number 60 on ESPN's list. I'm not the biggest Murray guy in the world, but that's pretty that's pretty low, I would say. He's behind Jeremy Grant. That's uh, interesting. Um, he's behind Josh Giddy, which I find to be um, pretty silly. Uh, that's one of those young guy things. Josh Giddy, I, I like as a prospect, but he is not better than DeJounte, nor has he ever been, and he's it's just kind of weird. Um, even guys like in the top 50, like DeAndre Ayton, I don't know about that one. Um, CJ McCollum is really high on this list, and it, 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 he's been a good player for a long time. I'm not really sure how much that applies at this point. Anyway, that's where I'll stop for now. Uh, Capella's 84. That's kind of fine. I think it's lower than I have him. The one guy that I kind of had to laugh at was Bobby Portis is ahead of Capella. That's not a right ranking. Um, and then Bogey's not listed at all. Again, I don't love that. Like, for instance, some guys who are listed on the top 100. Mitchell Robinson, Colin Sexton, uh, the 2023 version of Harrison Barnes, the 2023 version of Russell Westbrook. Like none of those guys are better than Bogey. That's that's my opinion. But alas, it's it is what it is. And this will hopefully be the last player ranking segment I do on this podcast for a while. I know my I know my guy Tyler Jones loves player ranking talk. So shouts to Tyler. I'm, I'm sure to listen to this podcast. But that's all I'll do on that topic for now. All right, the rest of the show will be your mailbag questions. But first, a word from our sponsors on today's podcast. Today's show is sponsored by BetterHelp. For a long time in my adult life, I was desperately unable to sleep, even when I really knew that I had to sleep. And for whatever reason. My brain got in the way with stray thoughts and it always drove me crazy. Therapy helps you figure out what's holding you back so you can work for yourself rather than working against yourself. And therapy with better help is great for losing positive coping skills, how to set boundaries in your life and many more things. It also helps you be the best version of yourself. And you, do not, and you do not need to actually have experienced trauma in your life in order to benefit from the work of better help. If you've ever thought to be potentially starting therapy, BetterHelp is the place to give that a try right now. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. And all you have to do is actually fill out a brief questionnaire. We matched up with a licensed therapist. And from there, you can switch therapists if you want to at any time for no additional charge. Make your brain your friend with BetterHelp. BetterHelp.com slash LockedOnNBA is the place to go right now today for 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash LockedOnNBA. All right, question from Jerry Hinnon. Shouts to Jerry. Um, what do you think of Daniel Johnson's ability to defend threes? I ask because it feels like it's a highly relevant question to answer whether, when determining the Hawks' starting and closing lineups this year, since each potential pairing at the three and four has a potentially major deficiency. So, good chance to plug this. I actually talked about it a little bit on yesterday's podcast and also wrote about this over the weekend with regard to wanting to see Jalen Johnson and DeAndre Hunter play together. Um, I shortened Jerry's question a little bit. It was a long one. And shouts to Jerry for all the depth here. I'm going to get into all this stuff as well. But he, he, he sort of referenced some perceived weaknesses and strengths for each of these pairings between Hunter and Johnson, Bay and Johnson, Hunter and Bay. Those are kind of the three combinations that everybody's talking about right now, and the Hawks will probably use most of the time. And then I will also say you'll probably see 
AJ at the three. You'll probably see Bogey at the three. You might even see Wes Matthews at the three at some point this year. So, like, there are other bodies, but I think there are three main guys for the, th- for the two forward spots, Hunter, Bay, and Johnson. To answer the first question, I think the real answer on whether Jalen can, can defend threes as a, as a primary look is basically, and this is unfortunate, <clears throat> but it's basically a TBD at this point. I do understand Hawks fans are generally making the leap and kind of assuming Jalen's going to be what they're hoping he's going to be. And look, the tools are fantastic. The flashes defensively are fantastic, but he has not had many reps. I don't, I don't mean to be a wet blanket about this, I promise you, but he's not really been asked to be a primary wing defender very much at the pro level. And that doesn't mean he can't do it, but you're going to see, and we saw it last year at times, and even the preseason so far this year, um, he's going to have some growing pains there, like screen navigation, for instance, like just kind of knowing what, what, what to do, how, how to operate there. You can litigate this if you want to, but he was asked to play mostly a big man role in his first couple of years. And that's going to be, um, that's what he's been experienced at for the most part. So um, if you're going to leave him as the only guy on the wing, it's kind of tricky at this point. Now, if he's playing with, like, for instance, Trey DeJounte and Bogey or Trey DeJounte and Bay or Trey DeJounte, DeJounte and AJ, that kind of leaves him as the only guy, at least the main guy to defend you know, your Tatums, your Browns, or whoever you want to say. Obviously, those guys are elite players, but you know, you, you get what I mean. Um, I do agree with the premise from Jerry, though, that it's very relevant to determine whether he could do that because the Hawks have a better idea than this than we do on the outside. For sure, they'd be able to see him play behind the scenes. They'd be able to see all, all the data. Of course, they're just smarter in general. But the sample size is not very big, and there is a lot of stuff to decide, basically, between now and even next Wednesday. But, you know, once they get into the season – evaluation and what's determined what's real and what's not in small sample sizes, all that fun stuff. So the forward combinations are pretty interesting, I would say, on the whole, especially when you dig dig, dig down into the bogey and Griffin options as well. I've been consistently saying that one of the big things with this entire team is the fact that it's going to be hard in some respects to find two-way lineups, i.e. lineups that are going to be good enough on offense and on defense. That's kind of the fundamental thing about this roster in the last couple of years is that. And it also boils down to the forward spots. Um, when I wrote about Hunter and Johnson over the weekend, I noted they actually played less than 140 minutes together last year. That's a very, very small sample for two guys who were largely healthy. Um, and the results are pretty bad. Actually, on both ends of the floor, which is kind of surprising on defense anyway. I do think that it's the best defensive pairing of forwards so they, that they can use. I, I don't want to litigate, litigate this too much. Obviously, you could say Wes Matthews would be better than Hunter or Johnson or whatever. You could say that if you want to go specialize, et cetera. But I think of the high-minute guys, they are the two best defensive forwards. Again, defensive only right now. But I'm, I'm not sold, and I think probably the Hawks aren't probably either, that those guys can play together along with the center and really have a great offense. Obviously, Trey and Ajante are going to be relied on heavily in that group. But that's the concern with playing Hunter and Jalen is the offense, not the defense. Hunter and Bay is interesting because both guys can really shoot it, but you lose the passing and the versatility and the rebounding of Jalen Johnson and the size, et cetera. Uh, you know, defensively, it's a huge downgrade from Johnson to Bay, I think, realistically. Um, Bay and Johnson, for instance, might work, but it does it does not work if Jalen's not ready to be that primary defensive wing because Sadiq Bay, for all of his strengths, is not a good in space defender, he's very slow footed. He's a below average guy defensively, to be kind. And I think Bay is really actually more kind of a four on defense in a lot of ways, with with, his, with the way that he kind of plays with bulk and physicality, but can't really move his feet. Then you get into you sort of get into Bogey and AJ at the three. Both those guys would be better offensive players than Hunter, for instance. But obviously, that's a big downgrade defensively from going from Hunter to Bogey or Jalen. Um, sorry, Bogey or AJ on the wing. I'm rambling now, I know, but. 
I would love to know what the new staff believes that Hunter is in general, but also like, can Hunter play the four? That's a question that everybody has. He's only played one game so far in the preseason. He looked pretty good, I thought, actually, in that game. And I, and I believe he played every minute that he played, though, at the three in that game. It's been a thought in the past that Hunter could play some four. And I've talked about this and kind of been critical of the notion on some levels, but I, I do get it. Like Hunter has great physical tools. Um, and, and at least in the last year or two has improved a lot as a help defender, but he's always been a very, very, very bad rebounder, even for a three, much less a four. He had a very, very small, like 0.7% block rate last year. That's a terrible help, help side rim protection number, even for a small forward. So all that said, like, I don't know how, how that would work. You're putting a lot on your center at that point in time. And really with their perimeter guys, like it's kind of tough. So full circle, I'm not going to go through every single pairing and every single, you know, machination, but I do believe Jalen Johnson is an X factor in many ways. Obviously one of those is just that he has, he has the highest ceiling of all these guys. It's very clear in that way. Um, but on offense, if he can show that he has to be guarded and that kind of be more involved in the half court, which, which I think we've seen that twice now in the four games so far in the preseason, He's been pretty effective in two of them offensively and pretty clunky in the other two. And that's okay, but that's one of the questions about Jalen. Really, the biggest question I would say about Jalen Johnson is what's his role in offense in the half-court setting? It might allow you, though, if you're comfortable with that, to play him with Hunter and get more defense on the floor. And basically, I would say if you have a Hunter, Jalen Johnson, and Capella or Hunter, Jalen Johnson, and a Kongwu front court, that's pretty good defensively. Now, your backcourt's still a question, but you know that that matters. Um, on defense, if Jalen can prove that he's capable of being a, a number one level wing defender, that can maybe allow you to have some versatility in your lineups where you can play more of Bay or more of Bogey or more of AJ, and you can kind of get away from Hunter a little bit. Not all the time, but certainly a little bit. Um, by the way, while we're here on that topic, there is a notion from some, some Hawks fans that Hunter is just going to suddenly not play very much this year. And I understand that you might be wishing that. And look, I've been very critical of Hunter at times because of Jalen and Bay being there, all that stuff. I don't see that happening. I think, as a reminder, Hunter played more minutes than anyone on the team other than Trey in the playoffs last year. Anyone on the team. And that was a team that still had John Collins on it. So I, I don't really see Hunter just not playing, or even not starting, but certainly not playing a lot of minutes. Like, if they, I guess that maybe there's a world where they bring him off the bench. I, I kind of doubt it. But even if they did, I would be shocked if Hunter was healthy and on the team and playing less than, like, 27 minutes a game. It's just going to happen. They're invested in him, four-year extension, all that stuff. Anyway, uh, I can see him losing the play time if he doesn't play well, but in general, the Hawks have 96 minutes to fill at the forward spots. And yeah, I think it's pretty safe to say Hunter's going to have a chunk of those minutes. Jalen's going to have a chunk of those minutes. Bay's going to have a chunk, a chunk of those minutes, and then we'll see a little bit more of you know the, the rotation level stuff from AJ, Bogey, Wes Matthews, maybe a tiny sprinkling of a Kongwu. But in general, I think the three guys who are going to play the most minutes at the forward spots are Jalen, DeAndre, and Sadiq Bay. We'll see how they sort of slice the pie. That's my biggest question about how the forward spot breaks down. I'm glad Jerry asked this question. And it's sort of a long answer and really kind of a double question and three, maybe three questions all in one. But And then, by the way, I'm not going to do this now, but that, there's the whole starting lineup question, which I don't care about that much. But I know that if I've gotten a single question the most in the last couple of weeks, it's basically who's going to start in the four. And I don't know. Um, I think that just as a short answer right now on Tuesday, October 17th, um, I'm less confident than I've ever been because I was, I was not ever super confident, but if you asked me a month ago, I would have said like 60, 40 in favor of Sadiq Bay because of Capella, because of the shooting, all that. 
And then in the preseason, they've used Jalen a ton. Jalen's looked pretty good. And I think it's leaning more in that direction. But does that mean it's 40-60 in favor of Jalen? I don't really know. So we'll see. I'd love to know the answer. And I also don't care as much as everybody else does because I think it's more important to see who plays the most minutes and who plays the closing minutes. But I understand people want to see that, that question answered. And I would love to know as well. Plus, as I've sort of documented in the last couple of weeks, if you've listened to the podcast, Quinn Snyder is not eager to tell us much of anything about rotations or availability, etc. So we'll all see together probably in the next couple of days and weeks. Okay, one more break from our sponsors today's podcast. We'll be back with more in a second. But first, a word from our sponsors. Today's show is brought to you by Game Time. You should never actually have to worry about buying tickets to a big event. And with Game Time, you really never have to. Game Time has last minute deals and tickets for football or basketball, baseball, concerts, comedy, theater, and more. It's really easy to navigate and find and buy tickets for any, any event that in, that's actually available in your area. They have zone deals. You can actually pick the section, and Game Time picks these seats for you for an average savings of 18%. And with Game Time, you can view the seats in the venue you're looking for. Plus, you actually know what you're getting when you walk in the door. Game, day, game time also has all-in pricing, so you actually know your total up front without any of the hidden fees that everybody happens to hate, including myself. And you have peace of mind with game time as well. They have the game time guarantee. That means you'll actually always get the best price with them. If you find the same section and the same row, tickets in those places for less, you'll be credited 110% of the difference with game time. Take all the guesswork out of buying tickets by using game time and download the game time app right now. Create an account. Use promo code LOCKEDONNBA for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account right now. Redeem the promo code LOCKEDONNBA for $20 off your first purchase. Download the GameTime app today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. All right, I went long on the last one, so my apologies on that. I know it was a multi-part question from Jerry and uh, hopefully interesting stuff there. But one more at least here from Kelly who says, how are the Hawks set up for the future when it comes to money and contracts? What happens if wrestler never pays the luxury tax? Um Obviously, I've done a lot on the Tony Wrestler Hawks organizational tax avoidance. It'll come up, I'm sure, as, as the answer unfolds. But as a quick reminder about this year in particular, the Hawks are over the cap by a lot. So that's not really a concern. But since the Hawks have not used the mid-level exception, nor have they used um, more than a tiny sliver of the trade exception created by the John Collins trade, they're almost $10 million under the luxury tax for this season, 23-24. That could be lower if... Guys like Capella or Hunter or Murray or Patty Mills even hit like some incentives. But I think I would operate like the Hawks are under the tax pretty comfortably this year. They're not barely under. They have some wiggle room if they want to use it, but we'll see. Um, anyway, future future seasons now as the question sort of outlines. But the big one for our purposes now is next year. So the Hawks already have, and I want to stress this, the Hawks already have $144 million or so. so. That's approximate in guaranteed money for next season. That's 24-25. They have $129 million committed and guaranteed to five guys. That is the number for Trey, DeJounte, Capella, Hunter, and Bogdanovich. Five guys, $129 million. Then you throw in $14.6 million or so for four more guys that are cheap on rookie, rookie contracts. That's Jalen Johnson, A.J. Griffin, Kobe Bufkin, and Muhammad Gay on his second round deal. So, these projections often change, but right now the projected tax line for next year is 172.5 million. The cap line is 142, and then the aprons are above that. Um, this is considered to be pretty conservative by the league, actually, in part because of all the uncertainty with the regional sports networks. But anyway, we'll go off the projection for right now of the tax being about 172 for next year. So that means basically the Hawks are already over the cap, not the tax, the cap, with nine guys for next year. 
which you can't have nine guys. You're going to have at least 14. Here's where it gets pretty dicey. Um, that includes z- nothing at all for a Kongwu or Bay. Not to mention Bruno Fernando or Harrison Matthews, but obviously a Kongwu and Bay are like, you know, rotation guys and core guys on this team. So as I say this right now, the Hawks should be about $28, $29 million under the tax with nine guys. Um, barring a huge surprise to me, a Kongwu and Bay are going to combine to make more than that on their own. Um, I would be shocked if those, if those guys returned and made less than that combined. Like it would be truly shocking to me, barring a weird injury or something like that. So that's 11 guys. Even if the Hawks did get somehow a Kongwu and Bay for cheaper than that, which is not going to happen, even if it did, you got to have 14 guys on the roster. So let's just say this. The Hawks are already over the tax line for next year if they bring back a Kongwu and Bay. That's with nothing else. That's no, nobody, nobody outside, the, nobody outside, no first round picks, no signings, no acquisitions, just the basically the top 11 from this year, or at least the top 10 plus Moge. And there you go. So this might sound familiar to you uh, because it's the same thing that's happened the last two years for the Hawks. Two years ago, they traded Kevin Herter to save money. Um, there were obviously other things in play there, including a first round pick coming back from the Kings. But the big reason why they traded Kevin Herter was to save money. Then they maneuvered around the tax to stay under it, but even when trading for Sadiq Bay, it was a good move, obviously, but they kind of did it penny pitching style. This last summer, they traded John Collins for a lot of reasons, again, fit reasons or whatever, but they got nothing back. And the biggest impetus was to save money again. So they didn't also use the mid-level this year to stay under the tax. They could have definitely used the mid-level to improve the team. They didn't do that. So no matter what wrestler has said and what Landry Fields will say as the spokesman, front facing guy for the, for the roster. Um, the Hawks, in my view, this is me talking, and I, I think it's an, an informed opinion, but certainly an opinion. The Hawks have ducked the tax the last two years pretty actively. And I think they'll be up against it again next year without some significant changes. Um, you know, look, last year I was very, very belligerent and clear and ended up being very right that the Hawks were not going to pay the tax. Even though wrestlers said they might or whatever, they were not going to do it last year. I, I said that as much. I was reporting that flat out. It wasn't happening, and they didn't pay it. This year I am less stringent on that. I do think if I had to guess right now, the Hawks are going to stand under the, the tax. Right now, they're under the tax for a reason. They want to be under it. I do think that there's a world in year one of Quinn and kind of, you know, if things go really well and they end up buying at the deadline or buying before that, like a, some big splash move, could they go over? Maybe. I would not project it. I think it'd be surprising to me, but it wouldn't be impossible. Like it felt like it was going to be a year ago. But, and look, next summer, could they pretty easily like Collins style get off of Capella or Bogdanovich or both to save money. Yeah, they could, but like eventually you cannot just keep dumping pretty good players for nothing every summer. The Hawks have now done this twice in a row. Now Herder, obviously they got a first round pick back. That wasn't a a total nothing, but they got nothing in player capital right then back for him. And then the Collins trade was just flat out a dump. So like if they were to do that again with Capella or Bogdanovich, you're, you're suddenly getting a talent drain at that point in time. So, I spent most. Of, I want to spend most of the time on this answer on next year, and just lay out that like, yeah, they're, they're staring down the barrel once again of having decisions to make that could be financial in nature. If they a want to keep everybody and b don't want to pay the tax, then like it's kind of impossible. Like if they want to bring back their top nine for this year, like their consensus top nine, which again is Trey, it's Dejounte, it's Bogey and AJ, it's Sadiq, it's DeAndre, it's Jalen Johnson and the centers. 
That is their top nine, their consensus top nine. Obviously, you got Kobe Bufkin beyond that or whatever, but that's their top nine. If all they wanted to do was sign those, have the seven guys that are already under contract and re-sign Bay and re-sign Kongwu, they will be over the tax. So, like, decisions to be made, we'll see. But that's hopefully that answers the question in some sort of depth. As far as, like, beyond that, they do have more than $120 million committed for the following season. And that has nothing for a Kongwu, nothing for Bay, or nothing from Jalen, who actually be free agent that summer. That's just like Trey and DJ and, and uh, the and Hunter and all that stuff. So, anyway, uh, we'll have more on this in the future. Obviously, it's a good time to remind everyone again: it's an expensive roster, and there's a reason. And I'll talk about this more, I'm sure, between now and the opener, even next next week when I kind of give my my final thoughts preseason. It's an expensive roster for a team that's not been that good the last two years and that's I think it's going to be an important season for a lot of players but also for the team in general because they are going to need to win at some point and show some sign of progress and yeah I think the addition of Quinn Snyder is going to help quite a bit this year but it, this kind of going through the numbers here is a good reminder that like if you're a wrestler and this is going to be your results again if, it, if that were to happen again for a third straight season like I think you might see some bigger changes some more monumental roster changes. Because right now, like obviously last year, this year, they're kind of just running back in a lot of ways. They're just backing on Quinn Snyder, internal growth, et cetera, which I'm okay with. But if that happens again, I think we'll see some more activity. Anyway, that's the answer. Um, they still have some challenging books in the future. On the bright side, I should say this, to end the podcast on a higher note, I still believe the Hawks have no bad contracts. Now, would I have signed DeAndre Hunter to that deal? No, I would not have. But the Hawks could move DeAndre Hunter pretty easily right now. Uh, they wouldn't get that much for him, but they could trade him without much pain if they wanted to. Um, and other than that, like Capella is on a good, con- on a d- decent contract. Bogey's on a decent contract. It goes down every year. Dejounte's on a heist of a contract, in my opinion, for a player that, of that caliber. Trey is Trey. Obviously, you're paying him the max no matter what. Um, we'll see at a Kongwin Bay, but like right now, the Hawks have no bad contract. They just have they happen to have a bunch of guys who are making star level money, and that can speed up if you're also paying Trey Dejounte star money. So there you go. All right, that's all I have on today's podcast. We'll have much more this week and then into next week. Again, one more week between now and the opener next Wednesday in Charlotte. The Hawks do play one more time. Friday in Philadelphia, we'll have coverage of that game as well in the final preseason tune-up of the season. But stay tuned. Please subscribe to this show anywhere you get your podcasts, places like Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, also Overcast, and YouTube on the video side. Ratings and reviews and likes appreciated across the board. Tell your friend or two, or three about the show. If you happen to know a Hawks fan in your life that has not found the podcast, please share it with them. I would very much appreciate it. Thank you for listening. As always, everyone, and we'll see you all next time.